Welcome to my podcast, Man Made. It is admittedly a provocative title. It's meant to be. It captures my desire to be of service, to be a part of the movement encouraging us all to hold men and boys in high esteem. In high esteem for who they are and for the important and different contributions that they make. It's both sad and angering to me that men aren't always well thought of. We all benefit from men's goodness. And we all feel weller when we're experiencing gratitude and compassion. My podcast will tackle head-on the negativity that has been and continues to be directed towards men. And each week I'll also be appreciating the act of a good man. And because I loved going to football matches as a young woman, I always start with, here we go, here we go, here we go. (laughs) And the title of this episode is The Scandal That Isn't a Scandal. Male Suicide. There's an empathy gap when it comes to male suicide. In this episode, I'm exploring the statistics of males three times higher than female suicide rates, a few of the possible causes, and I suggest one thing that we can all do to help. A lack of empathy about the high male suicide rate means there's a lack of urgency or sense of emergency in addressing the issue. And this makes me wonder, how much as a society do we really care about men's lives? Men's lives can be seen as disposable, not just in terms of no alarm about high rates of suicide. As we've seen in earlier episodes, taking risks is a significant archetypal trait of masculinity. It's in their evolutionary nature, but it's also our evolutionary expectation of them. At times of war, we send them en masse to defend and protect us and they constitute almost 100% of all combat deaths. They comprise the personnel in a vast majority of other seriously dangerous jobs such as steeplejacking, scaffolding and roofing, deep sea fishing. Just think about the Bering Sea Crabbers featured in the Channel 4 Deadliest Catch programme the unbelievably rough and freezing hostile conditions that those men tolerate, protected only by their waterproof clothes and gum boots, just so that we can eat shellfish. Men constitute 92% of lifeboat crews, the great majority of miners, giant plant operators and agricultural workers. Not to mention all the dirty jobs that it's mostly men who do. Jobs like sewer inspector, Septic tank processor, drain unblocker, refuse collection, recycling management, pig slot processor, bloodworm hunter for fishing bait, tarmacking, crime scene cleaning, meat processing and abattoir work. And all this essential, dirty, dangerous work goes on almost invisibly because of a significantly misandrist environment. Misandry is the brother of misogyny, meaning the dislike of, contempt for, or ingrained prejudice against men. This shadowy cloud of negative regard for men hangs there and operates as unconsciously as the air that we breathe or the water that we drink. In a nutshell, men suffer in a variety of unacknowledged ways particularly those in the lowest socio-economic groups. 
I've come to see that in many suicide cases, the cause very often isn't one single obvious painful and destabilising event, such as separating from a partner, being separated from children, a job loss, a financial crisis, or a serious physical health diagnosis. Rather, like the frog who's placed in cold water and then heated up, men often don't realise they're miserable, don't realise they're suffering. In my experience, many of the men who I've been honoured to work with have normalised their pain. They would say something like, well, that's just what being a man is like, or you have to expect that if you're a man. This is the shadow side of men's stoicness, a tendency and willingness to suffer too much for too long. In many cases, I see no expectation of happiness, no sense of entitlement to happiness, and this normalising of pain continues as it started, one drip at a time, one degree Fahrenheit at a time, until it's too late. A boiling point is reached, the man reaches and exceeds the limit of pain that he can tolerate. And when he is in that state, suicide becomes an entirely logical option. There are way too many men who are suiciding. The death of one man or one woman by suicide is a tragedy. But many more men are quite simply living miserably, a hair's breadth inside their limit of pain tolerance normalising it and in traditional masculine style stoically living with it. So let's look at the statistics now. I've used three separate research sources for this episode. William Collins and his excellent book The Empathy Gap, Male Disadvantages and the Mechanisms of Their Neglect and Two Samaritans Reports, Suicides, Facts and Figures and Suicide Statistics Report both of which analysed 2018 statistics. Three in four deaths by suicide are male deaths. This is the scandal that isn't a scandal. Can you just imagine the furore, the clamouring, the shouts of something must be done if women were suiciding at three times the rate of men? In 2018, there were 6,859 suicides in the UK and the Republic of Ireland. Of those, 6,507 suicides were registered in the UK and 352 occurred in the Republic of Ireland. The suicide rate in Northern Ireland is the highest in the UK, where men aged between 25 and 29 have the highest suicide rate. The highest suicide rate in England is among men aged 45 to 49. The highest suicide rate in Wales is among men aged 40 to 44. The highest rate in Scotland is among men aged 35 to 44. Most of the existing research on suicide worldwide has been carried out from a medical, psychiatric perspective. It's been common to focus on mental health, particularly depression, as a cause of suicide, whilst overlooking the influence that broader, adverse social and social economic conditions might have on the individual. It's worth noting here that while depression is an underlying factor in most suicides, the majority of people with depression or other psychiatric illnesses do not take their own lives, so there must be something else going on besides. 
Let's look at some of the broader factors that are associated with suicide across all the age groups. Men in lower socioeconomic positions are at higher risk. The Samaritans identified that men from disadvantaged backgrounds in their 30s, 40s and 50s are at the highest risk of dying by suicide. And as you go down each rung of the social ladder, the number of suicides increase. Besides poor mental health, other adverse experiences that contribute to a high suicide rate are feelings of powerlessness, feeling stigmatised and disrespected, being socially excluded and having an unhealthy lifestyle. There can also be considerable misery and despair involved in the work that men in the lower socio-economic groups are obliged to do in order to make ends meet, including work that's physically hard, laborious, poorly paid, that has irregular hours, long hours, often antisocial hours, work that's often carried out in unpleasant conditions with no hope of improving their lot. Financial pressures may be greater on men, related to the expectation that they be the family's main breadwinner. This role has often been sneered at, characterised as a symptom of radical feminist and Marxist hegemonic masculinity, dismissed as a patriarchal attempt to dominate women, definitely not positively acknowledged or, God forbid, appreciated. Another very vulnerable group to suicide attempts and suicide completions are those with a history of adverse childhood experiences, such as being verbally, psychologically, physically or sexually abused, having felt unloved, experiencing scarcity, parents divorcing or dying, having lived in an atmosphere of domestic violence, having had a carer or carers who misused alcohol or substances, where a household member was depressed or attempted suicide, or completed a suicide, or who went to prison. We can see that when low socio-economic circumstances are combined with adverse childhood experiences, and then an acute stressor is added, such as a conflict with a partner or other interpersonal conflict, the risk of suicide increases exponentially. In a major adverse childhood experiences study, 11% of those with three adverse childhood experiences and 19% of those with four adverse childhood experiences had attempted suicide. Another study found that there was a 29.4 times greater likelihood of making a suicide attempt amongst those who had had an argument with their partner compared to those who had not. So, what needs to happen? Well, a lot really. In future episodes, I'll look at government and services, suicide prevention policies and strategies. But just for now, I'm going to share my one big idea that we can all get on board with. To my mind, the first and biggest thing to tackle is the aforementioned insidious and invisible shadowy cloud of misery which hangs over our culture. Just one example of this. In our culture, we can joke about men their genitalia, their characteristics and behaviours in a way that it would never be permissible to do so about women. So what I think would have the greatest impact on men's well-being and therefore inoculate them against suicide would be for us to have more appreciation for them, for who they are and all that they contribute, to have more compassion, 
empathy, respect and acceptance for them, particularly for their differences. If boys and men exist in an environment where they experience care and appreciation, where they feel valued and okay, and can internalise a cultural positive regard for themselves, they will simultaneously learn to care for and appreciate themselves more. Men who have learned to care about themselves know when they are suffering. They know when they need help. And if help is not stigmatised, if it's perceived as a human thing to do, rather than a weak thing to do, they will reach out. So this week, how about acknowledging the goodness of the men in your life a bit more? Let them know how much you appreciate their efforts and contributions. And blokes, please slap each other on the back a bit more. And remember, men are heroes in so many different ways. Let's look after them. And now it's Good Guy of the Week. Drum roll, please. <laughs> this is a really sweet story. A misunderstanding that revealed something very lovely about a young man. This week, my youngest daughter, who lives in London, told me about a friend of hers who'd been dating a young man for two weeks. She'd invited him to join her at the Devonshire Inn for a drink. He misheard or misunderstood her, and she was rather confused when he told her that he'd downloaded a roadmap when he sent her some Airbnb suggestions and told her that he'd be asking to take the time off work. Bless the dear young man. He thought he'd been invited to Devon. I was touched and impressed, and so was she, at his openness to accompanying her on a trip to Devon, and his proactivity in organising it. Thank you, that man. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for now. If you enjoyed what I had to say, please subscribe to this podcast and I'll look forward to being with you again. Cheery bye!